Now, awe is an interesting thing when you think about it. If you know me, one of my go-to lines is this. That is awesome. Does anybody ever say that? That is awesome. If you're, well, I think I said it to Dan's shirt today. Like, that shirt is awesome, right? If you bring me a coffee, you are so awesome, right? If you show me a picture of your dog, FYI, I do not care about your dog. I don't care to look at the pictures of your dog, but I'm going to say, that's awesome, right? That's just the truth of me. That's awesome is my line. But what does it do to you when you respond with awe to things that don't deserve to be respond with awe. There's something that happens to us when we make everything this awesome thing when God really is the one who deserves all of our awe because we are responding to his holiness. We're responding to his majesty. We're responding to his power. We're responding to his might. And it just has to affect the way that we look at things. And does it affect how we do things here? One of my greatest fears, you know about this church, one of my greatest fears is that we would come to a place where we simply go through the motions. The Lord does not care about you going through the motions. He desires your heart. He desires us to come in awe and reverence because what's happening today is that we're coming into the presence of the Lord, the God the most high. He, we're coming in and we're experiencing the Lord and the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. Whether you like it or not, the Spirit of God is moving in our midst and, and what we need to do is become in attunement with what is happening. And so today we're going to look at what it looks like when we experience the awesome power of God. We've been working through the uh, book of First uh, and Second Samuel. We've been going through the story of David. And we've been saying we want to be a church after God's own heart. And so today, we're going to look at one of the strangest stories in the Bible. All right? We're going to look at one of those that's like, actually at first reading, it's hard to figure out what's going on. But we're going to go through the story of King David and our, what our posture towards God looks like and why it matters. Where we are, if you're, if you're new here, Saul is dead, right? And so King David has now become the king of Judah. He's been anointed the king of Judah. And then we're going to skip a bunch of chapters, but in short, basically the Game of Thrones happens, all right? There's backstabbing. There's people getting killed. There's, uh, there's blood on people's hands. And David is trying to be king, but Saul's folks aren't exactly handing him the crown. The crown and there's backstabbing. There's all kinds of things. And so we pick it up here. And finally, the tribes of Israel, so Judah and the kingdom of Israel, they come and they say, you know what, David, you are to be king of us too. And so we finally have a united kingdom. So God's uh, promise is now being fulfilled in David. And we see his first move. The king and his men, 2 Samuel 5 for slides. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They're talking trash here. They thought David cannot get in here. And there's no other part of the story. It just says, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. He captures Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was actually strategically placed. It was placed between the two kingdoms. And so there was a, a lot of interest in this place because they, David had to unite these two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Now, one problem was that there were Canaanites who ruled there. They owned the city. But it's because 
because of its strategic advantages, David has to go capture it, and he makes it its capital. And then we see this, 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 2. Now David, again, brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is a throne between the cherubim in, of, uh, on the ark. So this new established kingdom, David decides it's time to set up shop here. This is going to be the city of David. This is going to be my new place. And so he says he wants to bring the ark of the covenant up. And now moving the ark is more than just hiring some movers, right? I, I get all the calls all the time from y'all. Hey, can we get any of the young adults or youth to come move my house, right? This is more than just hiring whoever help can come move your help. This is serious stuff. To understand the story, you have to understand the ark. Now, the ark was uh, Israel's most uh, prized possession. It was a national treasure. It was most closely associated with God. It was a wooden chest overlaid with gold that contained the tablets of the law. It contained a gold jar of manna, and it, uh, it contained uh, Aaron's staff that had budded. And the Israelites believed that the Ark of the Covenant was symbolically Yahweh's throne. It represented his very presence here on earth. And the Ark of the Covenant is first mentioned in Exodus. In Exodus, there is an elaborate plan on how you are to build this thing to the T. One of the most elaborate plans that you could see was building the Ark of the Covenant. Now, one important part to cover was that there was a thing called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was a solid piece of gold with two affixed cherubim on, him, on the top. And this mercy seat represented Yahweh's throne on earth. This is where Yahweh, or the Lord God, lived, right? And his presence resided there. Now, hearing all this, you would think that for David, for him to bring it up, it would make sense just to bring this up because it was of utmost importance. But it was also important because where it sat was just a couple miles from Philistine land. And back in 1 Samuel 5, the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember the story, it's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff happens. The, the, the gods of their temple fall apart. There are, there's plagues that happen. There's a plague of mice that take over their city. Now, if you know me, I talk about this openly. Meg and I live in an old house and we have mice. We just do. And so uh, a plague of mice, there's not enough exterminators to get rid of these mice and so he, he they get rid of the ark and they bring it back to Israel and so there's significance to it the Philistines are right there and 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 David had just overcome the Philistines and so he had knocked out all their gods so there is this sense that the Philistines are going to come back and they're going to steal the ark of the covenant again all of this is going on in this story you have to understand all this all right now the ark was normally held in where? The tabernacle, right? The tabernacle was a tent constructed during the wilderness wanderings and it was the place that God dwelt for the Israelites. And so the ark usually was there. But under Saul's reign, it, got, it went back from the Philistines and the ark ended up in this 
temporary place, this house. It was in this place called the house of the gentleman of Abinadab. And it sat there for 20 years, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant is important. It represented Yahweh's presence. And it should have been in the tabernacle, but instead it's sitting in this dude's house for 20 years, all right? This is the backstory of this moment. 2 Samuel 6, 3-7. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. What do we do with this story? It's a hard story. So think of this. Think Macy's Day Parade or the, uh, the Rose Bowl Parade, right? There is a procession that is happening. There's music, there's dancing, there's people full of joy. And what is happening is that it's all good until these ox start to stumble, all right? And where do we see? We see this fascinating moment where it seems like Uzzah is a dude that's just trying to do the right thing. Can anybody agree with me on that? He's just trying to do It's almost like natural reaction, right? And so there's like, how could the Lord do this to them? He got killed for it. Well, there's a lot going on here. You can read it as saying he was just trying to stabilize the ark. This is a natural reaction. But there are several things that have gone wrong in this story before you even get get to that moment and things that have moved the Israelites away from things that God had laid out for them. There is this moment where they miss the holiness of God. It's possible that they let comfort get in the way of their awe. They let comfort get in the way of their all. When you get comfortable, you can move away from God's word and you can go to practicalities. We could become a church of practicalities if we're not careful, right? But what happens is when you move away from those things, you miss move away from the things that God's setting into motion. The first thing we see right from the start, they're carrying the things wrong in general. What does it say here? It says they set the ark of God on a new cart. Now it's interesting because practicality makes sense here. If you have a heavy thing to move over a long distance, you have the opportunity of the wheel is invented. You put it on a cart, hook some oxen to it, and drag it as far as you can. It makes sense. There's practicality to this moment. But what's interesting is this idea actually came from the Philistines. The Philistines, it says back in the, when you read it, the Philistines actually put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart to deliver it back to them. So the Israelites see that. It's like, well, this is a very practical way to move this thing. But this was not God's idea. This was man's practicality. See, God had laid the, the plan out clearly. And it was clearly how the ark was supposed to be moved. They were supposed to what? 
carry it. They were always meant to carry it. When they moved it, it was always meant to be carried. And not just carried by certain someone. It was meant to be carried by the Levites, the, the priesthood, the royal priesthood, the people that were in charge of the things of God, the people that were in charge of the tabernacle. And a matter of fact, God had given them specific orders and how they were supposed to build this. So let's read this. Exodus 37. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet with two rings on each side and two rings on the other. So God designed it this way so that you could put poles through the rings and you could hold it and carry it on your shoulders because it was clearly laid out. You were never supposed to touch this thing. Okay, let's look at this. Numbers 415. After Aaron and his sons had finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. This is what's been said. This is, who God, this is how God laid it out, okay? So a death sentence seems harsh, doesn't it? But what we see is that they were warned. And during the time of moving, the people didn't listen to God. They let the world, they let the way the Philistines did it get in the way of the whole, what the holy God wants. And the same holy God wants all of you. He wants your, your heart. He wants your devotion. He wants your full attention. He wants all of you. But one of the things that's hard is that sometimes we can get too comfortable. Can I get an amen in this house? Amen. It's important to know that the ark was dangerous because it represented God's holy presence. God's holy presence, his holiness. It's, it's dangerous for us to get too comfortable when we get into his presence. And one of the reasons I think we don't is because we don't want the discomfort. We want to stay comfortable. We, want, we don't want to hear the hard things of the Lord. We don't want to sit and wait on the Lord. We want to stay comfortable. But there's also a danger that we all can be facing. Uzzah himself seemed to be too comfortable in this moment. Remember when it was described, the men leading the ark, what did it say? Uzzah and Ahio were sons of Abinadab. Uzzah grew up with the ark. He had been around the ark. It was set in his father's house instead of the tabernacle. So what could have been happening here? Uzzah could have erred because he knew all about the ark, because it was in his family's house for so long. He could have gotten comfortable with it, which led him to not, to not care about who or how they carried it. Now, I'm not saying that you have to come to church or go through your spiritual disciplines and they have to look a right way or a certain way. I'm not calling you to lift your hands a certain way. I'm not calling you to sing a song a certain way or wear a certain outfit. But for those of us who have been following for a long time, for some of us who were raised in a house that followed the Lord, this is one of the risks that we can have. For some of us, this is all we've ever known. 
we grew up in church, and possibly, just possibly, we've gotten a little too comfortable with things. We, we start going through the motions. We start not believing that the holy, powerful, mighty God might be doing something significant or moving in a powerful way. And we come with our expectations. We come with our lollygag spirit. And the spirit wants to move. And this, the presence of the Lord is here. And we just come and we're too comfortable. Passivity starts. Here's the truth, though. Read this story, and we're going to read in the New Testament as well. We serve a dangerous, wild, powerful God. A God that's way beyond any of our expectations. And one of the things is that we should live in fear of the Lord because He is going to move in powerful ways when we do. We can't make it sterile. Because I guarantee God hasn't changed. The Spirit is moving in powerful ways. The question then is, are we attuned to what the Lord is trying to do? Or are we so comfortable that we could completely miss it? Let's keep reading. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed, Edom, the Gittite, the Gittite, to the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed, Edom, the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him with his entire household. Now David... King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed the bull and fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David had just witnessed a mighty demonstration of the Lord. And then he sees, wow, in this house, it's blessing these people. And so to protect his holiness, it says, David became afraid. He deepened his respect for the Lord's power that day. And so he's not ready to bring it in. So he puts it into the closest Levite's house, and, they, and then they bring it out, and they're ready. And it says that he put on special garments, this linen ephod, and David danced with vigor that day. He shouted. He praised. He got a little wild up in here. And then you have McCall. His first wife, Saul's daughter, and she watches from afar, and it's clear that she's become jaded towards the Lord, and she's become jaded towards David. Look, she could have had this attitude for a variety of reasons. Look, she's Saul's daughter. This is, Saul didn't act like this. This was not a Saul way of doing it. King David's acting a little weird if you just compare him to King Saul, right? She could have thought this because she was like, public worship really isn't that important. Maybe that was it. 
Maybe she thought that a king shouldn't display such emotions. Whatever the reason, contempt fell on her. And when thinking about what holds us back, when thinking about what's held me back for years, when thinking about what could be holding each one of you back, i to be very careful with this one. Preach, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes what people think around us could hold us back from worshiping God fully. Sometimes the people closest to us. David was expressing unbridled joy. David is a king who's showing emotion. That's not how it was supposed to be. So... You go read on in McCall, it says that he, he disrobed it. Some people think it means dancing naked or half naked. He's probably wearing linens. It probably wasn't that. But at the, at the very least, he's looking undignified a little bit for a king. But David doesn't care. He would have looked a bit odd, but it goes on to say this, 2 Samuel 6, 22. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. David did not care what anyone thought in that moment, even those closest to them. Frankly, his dancing probably did something that was embarrassing. When I'm up here, I'm dancing. I'm thinking of what you all are thinking of me. I just am. Sometimes I have to move in the back and hide behind Bree and Dan so you don't see me. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. David's emotion and his joy, he says, I'll be even more humiliated. I'll be even more degraded if it means that I'm getting closer to God. You all can thank whatever you want. You can thank whatever you feel matters. But what really matters is we're coming to the presence of the Holy God Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He wanted to pursue an even deeper relationship with God. David was not perfect. We'll read it over and over again. But one thing that we know when we read the Psalms, one thing we know when we read the story of David, he will do anything to get closer to the presence of the Lord. He'll do anything to grow deeper in his relationship to the Lord. This is the king who was just anointed, and he's dancing around. How many of us look around when we worship? How many of us care what other people think? How many of us... I want to put this. There, there is order. There is order. There are ways to respect, right? Like we respect each other in worship, right? There's order within services. There's stuff that we have to do, right? I think the Lord wants to do a mighty thing in this church. And this word was for what? How are you willing to... Not worry about what new people think or not worry about what the person to the left or right think. It's just that the Lord wants to move in a powerful way so we worship Him fully to come full-hearted to the throne of God, the God who saved us from our sins, the Holy Lord, the God of the universe. We can be too comfortable or too people aware. And you can say this is an Old Testament story. Let's look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. People... 
This was written to a Jewish Christian audience. They would have understood the Torah. They would have understood the, the tabernacle. They would have understood the Ark of the, Covenant, Ark of the Covenant. And over and over again, the author of the book of Hebrew wants to show the holiness of God and the saving work of Jesus. All right? Hebrews 12. It's a, it's a go-to verse, but we usually stop before we get to the good stuff, in my opinion. Hebrews 12, 18 through 20. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight, it says, was so terrifying that even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The author is saying this is how it worked. To worship, it used to be a physical place you had to go to. There was a physical temple. There was a physical ark. Things could, you could lay your hands on, a place where rituals would be performed. But the author wants to say this is how holy God really is. When God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, there were storms. There were earthquakes. There was scary stuff happening. Exodus 19, go look at it. All the people were happy because only Moses had to go up there. They begged, don't make me go up there. This is so intimidating. And it says this, even Moses says, I'm terrified. They couldn't handle the overwhelming majesty and the holiness of God. Goes on, Hebrews 12. Now this is for us. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. He is a judge. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator. We have a mediator to this judge of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that appears a better word than the blood of Abel. But we are in Christ. We don't go to Mount Sinai. We do not have to go to Mount Sinai. If you are a believer, you go to the city living of God, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where angels right now are joyfully singing and in His presence. So here's the warning, Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicated the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that you so that what cannot be shaken remains. Here's the warning. Throughout Hebrews, the author is clear. God has spoken to us through Jesus, his son. And his saving message is this, the forgiveness of your sins, so that this cannot be ignored. Why? 
Because Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And it says this, when he returns, the earth is going to shake again. This will be a moment that looks like the Mount Sinai experience, all right? And the earth will shake, and the moment will shift temporal things to eternal things. That's what's going to happen. Things that were made will be transformed. But there's only one thing that will survive in this moment. The things of the kingdom of God. The things that are the kingdom of God. All worldly powers, all authorities, all the stuff is, that is not of him will be defeated and overthrown. And only what is done in Christ and for Christ is eternal and unshakable. This is a moment that is going to happen. So how do we respond to this? The good news is that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is true of God from day one. It remains true today. All the stories, the reason Usa could not touch the Ark of the Covenant is because God is so holy that can't withstand things. First, we are thankful. We're grateful. Thankfulness is a mark of you as a believer. I get amazed at the amount of complaining that will happen sometimes with us. Thankfulness is a mark of the believer. And second, what do we do? We worship God with what? Reverence and awe. We come here and we focus ourselves on an extraordinary grace. And it should lead us to worship and gratitude. Why? Because of the holiness of God. Not what you can do, not what you can do for the Lord, but we should fix our eyes on the holiness of God. Yeah. It says God is a consuming fire. We are not praising someone who is just a little bit bigger or a little bit better than we are. That is not who we're worshiping. That is not who we're praising. We are worshiping the Lord of the universe. The, the one that my wife is willing to let bats in the house to go and stand in awe and reverence of the God of the universe who created the stars, who created everything here on earth, who is coming back and is going to shake the earth. And there will be a day where us who are in the kingdom will remain and the consuming fire will come. And that day's happening right now. Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. What were they saying? Say it out loud, church. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
at the sound of their voices, what happened? The doorsteps, doorposts, and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said this, Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty. We don't come here and worship someone who's just a little bit bigger and a little bit better than us. We worship the God Almighty, the Holy One. We can't get comfortable. We cannot worry about what other people think. It's so damaging to your faith. We must come with awe and reverence to a holy, mighty, powerful, saving God in amazement that us as sinners, you and me, who are who fall so short, who are people of unclean lips, of unclean thoughts, of unclean actions, and the power of Jesus Christ's blood is that we now get to come to the holy mountain, to the place where angels are singing joyfully, to the throne of God with confidence and praise, with awe and reverence. We get to have joy in His presence because our sins are completely dealt with. I'll have the worship team come on up. I want to just sit some, sit some time. Let's not have you stand. Let's just spend time sitting. I, I don't know what the Lord wants to do. It's... I'm a people pleaser. If I take any personality test, you'll see I'm people pleaser galore if you have it. It's held me back for years. Held me back from years. Some of us, it's joy has completely left us. Joy is completely gone in our lives. We don't even know how to do it. And the presence of the Lord is calling, saying, I want you to step into joy. Some of us have so much worry and anxiety and fear that we haven't even experienced peace. And the presence of the Lord says, I want peace in this house. Some of us have been going through the motions for a long, long time. And he's saying, I want to shake things up. So just spend, we always do a little bit of Holy Spirit ministering time. Lord, just spend some time, just close your eyes and pray and just say, Lord, reveal to me any area that I've gotten too comfortable. Reveal in me anywhere that you wanted me to grow so I can fully experience you. your name forgive us where we've thought too little of you where we thought there was a circumstance or a pain or a sorrow or a, that we thought was too big for you 
Lord, we thank you that you've saved us. And that when the earth shakes again, Lord, that our heart, that our, our salvation is secure in that moment, Lord Jesus. So we praise and worship you out of that, Lord Jesus, that we are saved. Lord, and we praise and worship you out of the situations that are not yet taken care of, but we know will be taken care of. We come in awe of you. The word holy comes to our lips. And we realize how far we, how far we are from you, but through the blood of Jesus, you call us in. If there's anybody here that just doesn't yet know the love of the Lord, I'm just going to, every head bowed. If there's anybody that just wants to give their life to the Lord or needs prayer, thank you. Thank you. So as that raise your hand, I challenge you uh, at the end of the service, we'll do some prayer time. Please come up and let's pray for you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.